Hey all, Tyson here. Thanks for listening to another episode of the I-5 Corridors Traffic Report. Got a nice weekend edition for you coming today. We got Jared Mack from Duck Territory. He's down in Scottsdale for the Pac-12 tournament. The Ducks are still alive. I want to see what that means for their overall NCAA tournament hopes. And then my buddy Alex stopping by and we're just going to talk a little bit about the Monaco race this weekend. We're both Formula One fans and figured this might be the weekend to do it. So that's all coming up on the I-5 Corridor's traffic report. If you're not a subscriber, please check us out at i-5corridor.com. We'd incredibly appreciate a subscription. We got some fun stuff coming up uh, starting in June. We're going to start breaking down the 10 most important newcomers in football in the state of Oregon, whether it be freshmen or transfer portals or whoever. Um, we're getting close to football season, so we're just about ready to dive in. So uh, that's all coming up later this week on I-5 Corridor, but let's begin this with uh, Jared. Hey, happy Friday, everyone, and welcome back to the I-5 Corridor's Traffic Report. We have a weekend edition for you today, mainly because Oregon baseball is killing it down in Scottsdale, Pac-12 after dark, and uh, I wanted to talk to somebody on scene. So we have Jared Mack from DuckTerritory.com. He's been uh, killing baseball coverage all season. Uh, Jared, I'm, I'm a little bit jealous of you because... The first like two months of like any college baseball season, it often kind of feels like you're just doing this in the dark. Like I, I feel like the fandom hasn't quite shifted over to baseball and there's a lot of probably unrecognized work. But then nights like last night happen when it's May, it feels like it's baseball season and suddenly the internet discussion is all about college baseball. And I was just like, man, like Jared's put in the work for this. I like that's got to be a cool feeling to finally kind of be at the center of it when when people haven't maybe been as paying attention as much as like football or basketball. So how's the tournament going? How are you doing? How's the season been? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really cool, honestly. Um, yeah, like you said, you know, I, I put in a bunch of the work. Uh, the really cold nights in February where you're up in oh, the press box and it's 35 degrees and you're watching Oregon play some – some slap team around um it's but it's all worth it for this time and the tournament's been fantastic oregon's 2-0 and in there we know tuesday against cal 3-2 then obviously the win last night at stanford and extras um it's a great time i think the only thing that you shouldn't be jealous of is how damn hot it is down here in scottsdale <laughs> um it's about 100 degrees every day uh, like no no give or take it's it's genuinely terrible for uh, a guy in gene for most of the year so i think that's the one thing you don't have to be worried about yeah, I, uh, I I very specifically remember covering one game at Washington in it might have been like March third or fourth. It was it was like it was in 2014 when Matt Crook blew his uh, elbow out, but uh, I it was like 38 degrees and the wind was coming off that lake, and it was I that's that might have been like the most reflective I've been on deciding whether I should go back to school or not. <laughs> so what? What happened last night? Because at one point, Oregon's down, what was it, 6-2? to two? Like, I mean, they're playing Stanford, who is one of the best teams in college baseball. Uh, this is a Ducks team that has been very streaky throughout the year. I mean, even kind of dating back to, to April when things kicked off, really, for to get serious against Oregon State. But they're down 6-2, and then they just have a pretty miraculous comeback. And it looks like they might be uh, heading to the postseason now, right? Yeah, I, I think with this win against Stanford, they're for sure in. Um, I thought that even without a win against Stanford, that there was a good chance that they'd be in the NCAA tournament just based on all the regional projections. Um, but the win was pretty miraculous. Like you said, they were down 62 after the second inning. 
Uh, Stanford came out red hot and they had four hits in the first, or excuse me, five hits in the first inning. Four of them were extra base hits, scored four runs. Um, they just came out swinging. Uh, it's a really good ball club down there. They advanced to the semifinals as well. But, you know, it really started to feel like Oregon could win the game in the ninth inning. Uh, Colby Shade hit a, hit, a, hit a triple down the right field line and then scored the game tying run on an errant throw that went way over the third base bag. Um, one of the wildest plays I've seen in person. Um, and then the top of the 10th, Sabine Ceballos took a 3-1 fastball, chest high, and, and hit it out to left field. Dude. Um, really he, impressive swing. He, he smacked that thing. Like, it was yeah. – like, and there's part of me that wonders, like, if it was in Arizona and it wasn't so warm, like, because that ball just seemed like it just kept carrying, especially to yeah. pretty damn near dead center. <laughs> well, the, the thing is, the, the last couple nights, I mean, Oregon has played both games at 7 p.m. The ball really hasn't been flying out to left. And there's been some really well hit balls that have been way short of the fence. And I don't know how this one carried, but it just did. Uh, it was really impressive. I didn't think he got it off the bat. Um, my favorite thing to do is if I don't know if the ball is gone or not, is to watch the batter. And Sabine certainly thought he knew that ball was gone. So I, at that point, I was like, oh, this one could go. And it did. And and Oregon just kept the pressure on. They added another runner wild pitch, and that was it. And, and and he had been struggling for a lot of this tournament coming into kind of that at bat mm-hmm. too, hadn't he? Yeah, he was uh, one for eight uh, heading into that. So now he's two for nine. But uh, that second hit counts a lot more than the first one. Man, there's there there's something about baseball too where, I mean, there's there's so much in action that happened in games. But then like when you get a big moment like that, like that, I I think that's I think like a big home run or like a tying thing in baseball ranks up there with like as good of like a big touchdown or. I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of like what are comparable, like just where people are like, oh my God, like, did you see that type of play? Yeah. Baseball just had, has such a buildup to it. What, what was, yeah, the, I think, what was oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say like, what, what was the, the vibe of like the team and, and the coaches after that one? Oh, I mean, it was pandemonium down there. <laughs> uh, like even from the pest box, you could tell that uh, the team was just going nuts. The coaches were really excited. Um, you know, we asked head coach Mark Wazikowski after the game what, what his reactions were. And Waz is a pretty subdued guy. He's uh, always just kind of business. He's kind of like a, like a, I don't know how to describe it, like a military general. He's just like, okay, yeah, cool. That was good. Now we just have to go get the next out or go get the next hit. Um, but Bennett Thompson and Sabine and Colby Shea talked about their experiences and they, they are all just extremely like just jubilant. Um, you know, they had the football helmet re- uh, celebration that they've been doing all season long. Uh, meant a little bit more uh, last night. Uh, it, it was very, really good vibes for the team. I think that definitely brings them a lot of confidence uh, heading into the semifinals later today against Washington. If uh, if people are just kind of getting on the bandwagon now and, mm-hmm. and starting to watch this team, like how, how should you watch this Oregon baseball team? Like what's what's interesting about them? What's made them tick? And why, why have they been able to get hot here this week? Actually kind of dating back to, I guess, the Utah series last week. Yeah, if you're just watching, uh, don't watch the innings where they pitch. Uh, I think you'll think that are the best teams in the country if you don't do that. Um, pitching has been uh, an interesting situation all season long. They've had some injuries that they dealt with, and that really hasn't helped them. But uh, at the plate, they're one of the best teams in the country. I really think so. Uh, one through nine, they've got a lot of guys who can just, who can just hit the ball. Uh, left field, right field doesn't matter. Um, they're extremely they have a lot of talent even still on the bench. Um, it's just a really good – I guess some of the things that made them click all season long are just like their camaraderie, their ability to 
hit with two outs. Um, they did most of their damage last night with two outs leading up to the 10th inning. Um, and that really wasn't any surprise. Riku Nishida is a guy that I kind of feel like I have to talk about on his own because he's such a special ball player. And I don't think anybody, including myself, has really seen anybody like that on the field. Um, he's special. What do you mean? Again, like just this whole offense. What, what do you mean about him being special? Yeah. I mean, he's a catalyst. He's a spark plug. He's the guy that brings the energy to the team. Um, he's not a, he's, he's a very slap hitter. Um, he's really singles, doubles. He gets on base. He, he gets a walk. He'll steal second. He'll steal third if, if the ball goes two feet away from the catcher. He's extremely fast. He's quirky. He does all these strange things at the plate. Maybe not strange, but all these interesting things that he does to the plate. Like um, instead of taking a normal practice swing, he takes it right-handed as a left-handed hitter. Um, he just he squats down in the box like in a catcher's stance when there's two outs, and then pops up and gets ready to hit. Um, he's just a load of fun to watch. I mean, just if him, you know, trotting around the outfield, you know, picking daisies is fun. And uh, he's just someone I've never, never really seen a player like that before. So that's always been a highlight. And then I guess the last thing is um, Tanner Smith is an old team. Uh, they got a lot of, lot of old guys on this team, but Tanner Smith's been one of the program's player or the player in the program best history. He's just someone you got to watch and someone you, you kind of subconsciously you're like, yeah, let's go Tanner. Like, let's you know, finish his career out on a high note. Why do you think the Ducks have been successful since the the coaching changeover? Since basically Mark took over, I think they just play a more modern style of baseball. Um, I think that Coach Horton was uh, really great throughout his first couple of years of the program. It brought them to a lot of new highs that um, that they're that Oregon is still honestly hoping to get back to and get into super regional. Um, but I think that the recruiting aspects, the uh, commitment to analytics with the director of player or player operations that Brett Thomas has, has established at Oregon has really helped um, recruiting. I mean, they were a top five class in the country last season. They just bring talent on campus. And I think this talent has, you know, they brought it over and over and over again. And now you're starting to see it flourish on the field. Um, so I think that, that, that those two things are really big. I think that that was just a good coach overall. I think that he's just has his program in a regiment, like I said, kind of a military leader. Um, so I don't think that anybody strays too far from the path. I think they're all pretty uh, regimented and, and know exactly what the role is on the team and don't try to do too much. Man, and like you, you legit weren't joking about this lineup being deep almost one through nine. Like I'm just looking at like mm -hmm. the stats through. I mean, there's one, two, three, four, five, five guys who have qualified who are hitting over 300. There's one, two, two guys on the bench who are hitting above 300. There's like four guys with yep. like around a thousand OPS like this, mm -hmm. especially because I, I covered kind of the, the heart of the Horton years where it was like, you had one guy hitting maybe double digit home runs at best. And then the, like the rest of right. it was like, have Aaron Payne get hit by pitches and, and go from there. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like this is, I, I don't think I would know what I was watching if I if I came to PK Park and and just tried to guess that these these were the same ducks. Yeah, it's a, it's a significantly different team. Uh, I think the only thing that Waz would really wish he had from the, the Horton Arrows is the pitching. Pitching that's the yeah. biggest difference. They've they've subbed out the elite pitching for the elite offense. Which you know after winning if you know if they win tomorrow that'll be the thirty fifth victory of the season. That'll be three straight years of thirty five victories. So. Um, although the pitching has been suspect at times, I think they'll take 35 wins a year. Do th this is something that 
incorporates Horton and Waz, but do you think do you think the baseball program gets undersold in its ability to turn out professionals? Uh, because like right now, Oregon baseball has as many pro alumni in the MLB as I think anybody in college baseball, um, which is interesting because you know you you don't outside of like Oregon's got a pretty tight knit baseball community, but I think like outside of that mm -hmm. kind of bubble you, is probably not quite as associated as being the, we just got a whole bunch of dudes drafted. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, like you said, they have the most out of anybody in the MLB or at least tied for the most. Um, I, I think that the issue there is that Oregon's professional baseball players just aren't uh, like high name caliber. Like they're guys in the bullpen. They're like Mike Clevenger who, or excuse yeah, Garrett Clevenger, excuse me. I can't even say the right name. Yeah. Um, who, who I'm going to know as a baseball fiend, but an average person isn't like you, Oregon will always be compared to Oregon state, whether it's fair or not. And but Oregon state's pros are well-known guys. Like I mean, there's not, there's not quite Juan. a rutch. There's not quite a rutchman yeah. out there from, from Oregon yet. Yeah, no, not yet. And, but I think the last couple of years under Wazikowski have produced guys who could make an impact with their bat. You're already kind of seeing it with Spencer Steer in Cincinnati. Uh, Aaron Zavala just got healthy for the Texas Rangers. He's just just off to you know whatever start this year, but he's been really good in the last two seasons in, in minor league baseball. Josh Kasovich is another guy. Brennan Malone, Anthony Hall. This year, I'm not sure how many guys are going to be drafted from Oregon. It could be four, could be six. Um, there's a lot of guys, a lot of names that, depending on how their season ends, could go. But I think that those there are going to be more offensive players there, um, and there's going to be more opportunities for for Oregon baseball to get noticed because I think the talent level coming out of Eugene is is significantly better than what it once was, at least offensively, um, and honestly rivals. Oregon State offensively. That's been the big difference is Oregon State's pitching staff has still been really good the last three years. By, by the time people listen to I'll have this up before the game, but people might listen to it afterwards. But I, I imagine that this game today against Washington is going to uh, be one that they care about quite a bit, especially after uh, the sweep mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago. It sure will be. Uh, well, at least I from a from a viewer and a writer perspective, I hope it is because um, those games against Washington were, were just blowouts. I mean, Oregon's starting pitching staff allowed 43 runs over, I think it was 18 innings. Um, just really poor stuff. And so it's certainly not going to be easy this time around against Washington. Um, you want to talk about streaky teams. Washington is probably the most streaky team I've ever seen in my life. Um, really up and down first half of the season. Then they rip off 12 or 13 straight um, and just beat everybody by a country mile, like including good teams like Oregon. Um, so this is going to be a good semifinals matchup. I'm just uh, at this point, I'm interested to see who Oregon is going to send out to the mound because they've used uh, eight or nine pitchers in the last two games. So uh, I think that'll be that'll be a storyline to follow. And if Washington gets off to a hot start, um, we'll, we'll see if the bats can come around. But it, it's going to be a good game. I'm excited for it. You uh, you work for a website that does a really great job on the football recruiting side of things. Um, having covered like Oregon football now for nearly a decade, like I'm, I'm having, like, I, I completely understand that the ducks are on a tear recruiting right now. We're transitioning to football. How much do you think I need to actually care about paying attention to it right now versus when guys actually sign in December? Because I, it just feels like this was the time last year where everyone's writing their Dante Moore profiles. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know. It just, it almost feels like a game that you're a gamer that you're writing. And then, the Ducks score four runs in the ninth inning. It's a complete rewrite. Like, like what's, what's the point of paying attention to this right now? 
Well, uh, I mean, if you want my honest answer, there's not a lot. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> because they, like you said, they got a sign. Uh, I think the point of paying attention as of right now is just to appreciate what, what Dan Lanning is doing here at Oregon. Uh, I think that was obviously the biggest question mark when Mario left. If Dan could, right. you know, first year head coach, if he could recruit at that, that type of level, uh, he's certainly doing it. Some say that he's doing it above Mario. I think they're pretty much on the same level, which isn't a bad thing. Um, but yeah, I, I don't blame you for for maybe not paying too much attention until December or February when signing days are because that's when it matters, um, and that's when it always will matter. Even for as good as a recruiter Dan is or Nick Saban or whoever the coach you want to talk about is, uh, only matters when they sign those that uh, letter of letter of intention. Um, we saw Peyton Bowen last year commenced yeah. Oregon on signing day. You know, some stuff happens with the paperwork, doesn't get it in on time, goes to Oklahoma. It, I mean, they're 17 or 18-year-old kids, and they're putting – that's a big life decision. So I'm not going to put too much on it. I'm sure my superiors at 24-7 maybe don't like me hearing <laughs> that. But, uh, it's, but it is, uh, yeah, they're, it is they're, a good they're, they're, they're They're not listening to this podcast. I mean, this is this yeah, is like – Probably this not. Is, this is me and the family members who are trying to make sure I'm financially supported. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> What was your biggest takeaway from the spring? I, I was, I, you know, I maybe went down three or four times and didn't get to see mm-hmm. a lot. Um, I don't know how much you guys actually got to see either. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, I was gonna um, say. but for, just from kind of talking around to some people, some people that I kind of trust a bit, I've gotten kind of whispers of like, this team's going to be good. Like, you know, I, there's, I think there's a lot of question marks still, especially I, I I'm blown away by just how you can, create chemistry and roster cohesion when there's so many moving pieces, but I don't know. It, it seems like they're pretty optimistic after, after those 15 practices. Yeah. I think they have reason to be optimistic. Um, I, I like this team. Uh, I like that it's more defensive oriented than it was last season. I think that was my biggest takeaway, at least from the spring game. Yep. Can, can I ask a stupid question? When, when you say it's more defensive oriented than last year's team, what do you mean by that? Because I, I think if someone's looking from the outside, they actually see that there were some pretty good players on last year's defense, you know, Christian Gonzalez, Noah Sewell, yeah. like, like what, what's the big change or like, what's, what's the, the difference that you've been able to notice? Well, I, I, I feel as if the, the positional needs on defense were addressed this past offseason like pass rushing was has been a problem for a couple of years now under Mario Cristobal I think people forget that because Kayvon Thibodeau kind of secured all of that but when Kayvon was out in the, in the last last season when he wasn't here there was no pass rush so I feel like they went out and they got Jordan Birch, Mateo Uyunglele they, they got some guys who could potentially fill that role they might need another one but they're up against the scholarship limit but albeit um linebacking was another one they converted some guys I think they made the right move with Jamal Hill over from safety to linebacker. Uh, Justin Jacobs I really like. I think the emergence of Devin Jackson is a real thing. And then in the secondary, Oregon just said look, we're going to have a lot of guys who can play either corner or safety. We're just going to work it out. And that's what's going to happen. And and they needed that. They had one of the worst pass defenses in the country last season, but their rush defense was good. So they need to figure out how to make those things a little bit more balanced and a little bit more equal heading into this Pac-12 season where there's going to be a ton of really good teams. So I think that's why I think it's more defensive oriented. Um, this, I think the spring game showed that a lot. I think the defense was really fast. I think there were multiple hats on every ball. I think it was uh, mo- way more impressive than it was last season. You know, I talked to, to Eric Scopel and Matt Prem of, of Duck Territory, where um, maybe like the 2022 spring game was more of like a precursor to what the defense would actually look like in real life. 
and maybe not like, oh, wow, look how great this offense is. Like, it's really just, oh, my God, look how terrible this defense is. So I think that this spring game kind of showed, like, this offense will do well. It scored some points. There were some good plays. But I think the defense is going to step up and be a better tackling team, better team in coverage. They're just faster sideline to sideline. So uh, I'm 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 optimistic about it. I mean, we'll obviously see against like Texas Tech, but yeah. I, I feel better. I saw I saw a picture. I'm sure it was it was Big Dave who tweeted it out because he tweets a million things a day about his kids. But I, I saw a recent picture mm-hmm. about a uh, picture of Mateo, and the kid just looked freaking huge, like like noticeably bigger than when he got here. Like I'm 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 very intrigued to see what type of impact that he can have this first year, or I mean even. I mean, he, he's so talented. They had him kind of playing both sides of the ball at times for depth reasons during spring. Like, yeah. what what do you what do you think is kind of his his ceiling this year, and then kind of beyond that? I think this year, I would. I'm not sure what his ceiling is is really going to be, right. but I think that he can be an impact guy. I think that's just a very blanket statement by me, but I'll, I'll stick with it. I think that he's going to be in on passing down situations. I think he's a very talented pass rusher. Um, his first step is lightning quick. I wouldn't really compare it to Kayvon Thibodeau's, but it's in that same dimension of like, oh, this guy just, boom, gets right off the line, gets to the quarterback. Um, and he comes pretty polished. He's got some good pass rushing moves that he displayed in the spring game, which I thought was impressive. But, I mean, for his ceiling, I think that ceiling's really high. And I think that's really high just as a defensive end or a defensive edge rusher. I don't think that he should or will play tight end at any time during his career at Oregon. <laughs> Um, and, but, but as an edge rusher, um, like you said, he's, he's already like six foot five. He can get his weight up to probably that 260 to maybe 270, depending on how he carries it. Um, if he carries it like his brother, DJ, who's a much bigger guy, but is still really athletic and still is still mobile. Then maybe you want to get that 270 range, 280 range. But I think the sky is pretty high for him. And I think his, his ceiling might be something of a first round pick down the line. He's just got to stay healthy and, and continuously improve over his career at Oregon. But um, I was encouraged by what I saw in the spring game. I was encouraged what I saw in practice, what or how uh, defensive or the defensive line coach, Tony Tuyoti talked about him. These are all encouraging signs. Um, but again, we'll have to see when they put pen to paper and get on the field. I'm I'm going to put you on the spot here for the last question um, because mm-hmm. the man doesn't reveal much about himself. What's the most interesting thing you find about Dan Lanning? Um, I think it's probably that he's like a movie buff, like a sort of movie buff. He's got some like he he's actually has some like good movies that he likes, um, like Seven or um, I, I can't think of the other one right now, but. He talks about that a lot. He talked about that on our podcast. Um, he's talked about it in other interviews. I think that's probably the most interesting thing. Like you said, he really doesn't give a lot. Uh, maybe the fact that he has a, a very strange game day playlist. Um, talked about that on our podcast too. He's got some got some interesting songs in there, like "Linger" by the Cranberries is on his great like, <laughs> game day playlist. Um, like Rick Ross is on there. It's just all kind of like a hodgepodge of music. I thought was interesting. I mean, your your iPod, I guess I, uh, people don't have iPods anymore, but your playlist doesn't go from like the Cranberries to, to oh, Rick Rock, you know? <laughs> uh, my, uh, I'm, a, I'm a sicko on my Spotify. I, I only have like a like songs playlist and then I just hit shuffle and I listen to all this. So, yep. yeah. So it can, it can go from like uh, Nipsey Hustle to, to Jim Croce to the Rolling Stones. So 
I'm out there. What's the what's the pool situation like at the uh, the Scottsdale hotel you're at right now? Uh, the pool is there. Okay. Um, have, have have we hit it yet? Like, have you? No, have, have, I, I you, haven't. You, haven't, you haven't even like written like your your pregame notes like out by the pool. Like, you're doing this wrong, man. I guess you had to do a podcast wow. this morning. <laughs> well, I mean, I've been I've been, been golfing. Uh, to Ooh. be honest with you, when I have my free time, yeah. So. Pool, maybe uh, I got a friend coming to town, so maybe he and I will go into the pool later today. Now, now that we're at the tail end of the podcast, we can do what we actually meant to do, and that's talk shit about Matt Prem. Um, <laughs> have you gone golfing with him yet? Uh, not this year. I did okay. last year. How, how do you swing the sticks? I've seen Matt's. Matt, for Matt, I'll give him credit. He's a pretty damn good golfer, Like, and he should mm-hmm. be a good golfer for as much as he golfs, but I feel like we could take him down if, if we got on a training regimen. Yeah, I mean, you want to get like in a scramble format where it's like me and him or me and you versus him, excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, I think we could do that. I think I'm I'm pretty good. Yeah. And then and then like he could make us all barbecue and it would be a nice little nice, nice little start to the season. I I think, okay, Mm -hmm. Matt, Matt, you're listening. Get us all to your country club. Take us out golfing. Make us barbecue. I think it would be the right thing to do. It would be a nice gesture. I agree. I don't see why he wouldn't. All right. Well, thanks for thanks for coming on, Jared. That's the I Five Corridors podcast. <laughs> hey, everyone, and welcome you, back to yeah. the I Five Corridors Traffic Report, which is actually for the first time fittingly named because uh, we're going to do a little Formula One talk. Uh, longtime listeners of the I Five Corridor or readers know that I was that guy who couldn't shut up about how he started watching F One during the pandemic because of Drive to Survive. And part of that was a good friend of mine, Alec Everson, uh, kind of got in around the same time, too. Um, you actually, Corridor fans might uh, recognize that name as the board guy from a couple of weeks ago at the Oregon Spring Game. So uh, we're going to get into a little bit of talk about this weekend's race uh, in Monaco and some other things. But first, Alec, how are you doing today, man? Fantastic. I'm honored to have the title of board guy. That would be something that i pick up. Well, well, yeah. I mean, it was it was a lovely spring game down in Eugene a couple weeks ago. And uh, you happened to give me that antidote for my, my story that was probably the most talked about thing. Uh, I, I went on the radio like two days later and people were asking me about the board thing. So, Oh, yeah. I, a, a student of youth culture, I am now apparently. Yeah. How was uh, as as an Oregon fan and an Oregon grad? Like, how how was the spring game for you? Or, 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 like, where's your general, uh, where's your happiness level as an Oregon Ducks fan right now? I mean, it's spring, so try not to get too far ahead of yourself. But vibes were good, yeah. which is all you can ask for out of a spring game. That might be just because it was like what eighty degrees and sunny. Got to go have a pitcher at Randy's, so that'll do the trick, dude. It was so, like so. My, my my initial plan with that whole thing was I was gonna go down with you guys like earlier in the day, and like I wanted to do like the whole like I've never done like an Oregon football game before as a fan. Like I wanted to get blitzed and like write about it, and then I kind of thought, like, yeah, I probably need this to be a little bit more productive. But yeah, you had you got a job to do. I respect it. Yeah, um, let's talk. Let's talk F one because there's a race on Saturday. I'm going to watch. Or sorry, there's a race on Sunday. I'm going to watch. I've watched just about every single race since the last two years. Which I'm pretty proud of because, uh, you know, I think we both started with uh, the drive to survive on Netflix, which really kind of like hooks you into the drama and everything. And then there was a lot of like YouTube rabbit holes of learning how teams are assembled and like how like car performance and structure and um, basically how to how these programs win is just so different than, you know, the traditional sports model that we follow. 
and now like we're like three years in and it's not really a close competition like i i feel like we're finally like getting indoctrinated into what being a true f1 fan is oh, where yeah. it's a completely uninteresting season and you have to figure out like what's fun to watch about it so wh- where are where are you in in your fandom right now as a formula one I don't know. I think it's like the initial high has died off. You had like so much of the, I guess like that initial passion where people are like discovering Drive to Survive, watching the show, getting really into F1, and then you bore all your friends to death trying to talk about like everyone I know, this is what we're doing now. We're watching Formula One. And it was weirdly like the best possible season ever, I think, for that increase in interest because it was what down to the wire, like last race of the season going to determine the championship and you turns out you don't get that season in and season out. Like it's usually like, oh yeah, they have the they have the title locked up in October and you're just looking for things to enjoy. Like, oh maybe this little midfield team will finally get up into the points. Which is so interesting because I remember first watching Drive to Survive and they're very because the first few seasons of that show were filmed during the absolute dominance of Mercedes mm-hmm. and Hamilton. So they were being very explicit of like you have to find like the nuances and then like how you find this entertaining like the race between fourth and fifth might be actually their the their battle to watch of, of the whole race but then we watched this season in two, in 2021 which is probably the best formula one season of all time or well i don't know I, I, I don't know. <laughs> we haven't been but, watching that. But, long. but but Formula One, where people were saying like like this is like this doesn't happen hardly ever. Like oh, yeah. like a, a a season that comes down to the end. So all of a sudden, like it it kind of tricked you to start thinking against what you were originally thought about Formula One of like oh this is just going to be badass championship races with drama and like Mercedes versus Red Bull. And the last two years, Red Bull has just made a car that's so much better than everybody else. Yeah, I mean. I guess you take what you can get. We haven't had any problem with, like, interesting characters, though. Like, that's always nice. And you get the Valtteri Botasses, Botasses, and the Daniel Ricardos. Well, well so so that's my problem is the, the two... Because whenever, like, I start going, like, all in on a new sport, it's usually around, a couple, like, a couple characters that I like or, or athletes or just, like, somebody's stories that I'm drawn to. And, like... I think as any new F1 fan, it was like Daniel Ricciardo right away just because he's got the accent. He's funny. He... He's the poster boy. Yeah. And, and, and like, I always like somebody, too, that, like, uh, has to go through some shit. In, like, the last few years, like, Daniel Ricciardo's had, like, a big come down from, like, yeah. his initial high. But I liked him and I liked Sebastian Vettel. And both of them are out of F1 this year. So, like, this year has been kind of, like, a new trying to figure out, like, Okay, who do I actually like, or what teams do I like? Yeah, and, and who's not, my new best friend? Yeah, and I'm not quite sure who that is yet because I I, I find myself I like uh, I like greatness. Like I like watching LeBron. Like I like watching Tiger. So like I like seeing someone like Lewis Hamilton have the success that he's had, and mm-hmm. like I, I find it intriguing, like him trying to like come back from the Verstappen thing from a couple years ago, but. Yeah, I, I I feel like I'm still kind of a wash in terms of like who I'm a fan of right now. Who who is your your team? Oh, I've tried really hard to not have a team, and honestly, that's just someone who like you know being an Oregon alum, I get way too emotionally invested in this one team. So it was great to like oh, discover F one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can be like, I can just watch this. Like, I didn't go to the University of Red Bull Racing. I don't right. have to invest my heart and soul into this team. So I've been trying to not pick one i thought it was gonna be mclaren for a minute and then they gave daniel ricardo the boot they, they, they gave ricardo the boot their car sucks this yeah year. 
And I still don't know if I like Lando or not. Because, like, half the time he can be, like, kind of the fun, fun, cheeky young guy. And then other times he can just be kind of... And I respect it because it's a competitive business. But he can just be kind of a competitive dick sometimes, Yeah. I mean, I guess that is one part of Formula One that I've kind of become accustomed to. Is like, part of being an F1 fan is understanding that your favorite driver will probably act in a way that you don't approve of at some point. Right. Just by the nature of the sport. It's like they have to be so hyper competitive, not only against each other, but like their own teammates. And it's like, that's going to create something shitty from time to time. Well, well, that's one thing that I find so fascinating about sport too, because they have so much access to it. And like, you can hear their uh, in-car radios, like in the moment that like an incident happens. So like a lot of times you'll have someone like anytime, like Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton kind of like show up against each other. Yeah. You'll have uh, I think it was last year, Fernando saying like, you know, he's only used to driving from the front <laughs> and, it, and uh, the media always likes to like kind of pounce on these quotes. Cause like they'll do really well, especially like I, I like reading through like the F1 uh, F1's Reddit. Community. Uh-huh. And there'll always be like a big quote, like a headline of like Alonzo says this about Hamilton. And it's from like a radio excerpt, like when everyone's like adrenaline is at their highest and like people are just saying, and then the race ends and the racers are just kind of like, eh, like it's not a really that big of a right. deal for us. So like they didn't think anything about it. Yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting this like kind of on that part uh, on that, uh, um, line of thinking the Pac-12 this year announced that they're going to have like more like in-game mics and interviews but I I, I can't imagine like I can't imagine that uh, any of like the Pac-12 coaches are going to all of a sudden be like the Gunther Steiner just like dropping like F-bombs like all over the place right I mean it'll make your job easier though right yeah I think so I hope so or it'll be like the other thing around where like like somebody drops an f-bomb and then like everyone has to write a headline about it and then it's just more work for everybody right? yeah true every yeah. little quote every little tidbit you need to you need to go strike the iron with it so it's monaco this weekend yes sir which is probably the most actually boring race on the circuit because it's it's a incredibly beautiful race that goes through this historic like the most historic racing town like in europe um but it's a very skinny city circuit the cars are getting bigger so it's a race that relies very heavily on qualifying. If you qualify first, there's a good chance people might not pass you. But I think this is probably the race that, like, even if it's not the best race, you probably want to go to the most, right? Like, sitting on a yacht, like, maybe outside the harbor there. I mean, just for general aesthetics, I don't think it can be beat. I mean, I would want to go to the Vegas race. That seems like a pretty good one, too. Less travel time, but, I mean, shoot, if I'm... For my money, it's got to be Monaco is like the king of sporting events. Yeah. I just can't imagine like the amount of money that you need to have like the bare minimum to have a good spot there. Like, like We the, wouldn't be living in St. John's if we had like, it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I was, I was at the St. John's Parade last week and probably a little bit different type of parade than you're getting like the, the procession oh, yeah. of, of race car drivers in, in Monaco. Uh, okay, so I, I, I know I asked you who's your team or who's your driver, but just like what... What's interest you year three now? Like what's kind of kept your interest? Like what what are you following right now as a as a American F one fan? As an American F one fan, well, for a hot second, I thought it was going to be Logan Sargent, and then you know, I think he had what one good lap that everyone was talking about mm-hmm. during the first race of the year. That has definitely cooled off, but I mean, it's still just mostly for the characters. You still got plenty of like awesome personalities, and 
if you're not paying attention to Fernando Alonso this season, I don't know what you're doing Dude, because that's so it's, it's just so much fun. It, I, I find um, F1 is very good at just showcasing its stars and, uh-huh. and, and, and like having their stars kind of lean into it too. Like we talked about Fernando Alonso. He's a he's a driver for Aston Martin. He's the oldest racer on the grid. He's a two time world champion. Mm-hmm. He's a two time world champion who's just made a career of really bad career decisions. <laughs> he, he won two titles really young in his career and then has bounced around since. But now he's in a hot car. he's in a fast car again. Uh, he's got this mojo. There was like a funny two week period where people thought he was dating Taylor Swift, and that was like all the references on his Instagram account. Like it's like like. It's just savvy media presence by a lot of these people. He's everyone's favorite online dad right now. (laughs) He just knows exactly which buttons to push. And he seems to be having fun in his career for the first time in a while, which is cool to see. So if you're, if, if, if you've convinced a friend to come over to your house for like a 6am race, you're making, you're making, uh, Bloody Marys, maybe some nice breakfast, and someone's like, what should I be trying to pay attention to during this race? Like During this race? Like Monaco? Like Monaco, and then maybe maybe just in any race beyond that. Well, shoot, I guess for this race, you know, you're saying that Monaco is usually going to be the most boring race, but I also think that just because there's so few opportunities, there's like more opportunities for shenanigans, where like, was it last year during qualifying, we had that whole thing where... Checo crashed out and like limited qualifying. Max didn't get a lap. Supposedly that caused some some strife. Or when we had the uh, the whole mishap with Charles pitting and losing right. losing in first place at his home race just because his team couldn't keep track of how many cars were in the pit lane. So something like that is always just like you need one variable to completely screw everything up. And like people, I don't think expected that often because like oh yeah like. This guy got first in qualifying. He started on pole. He's just going to be the same order, start to finish. But just because like there's no opportunities for overtaking, no opportunities to, like correct mistakes, it's like one variable can just be right. day. So ha- has this at all changed your level of interest in like racing in general? And and I say that leading up to the fact that like the. Portland International Raceway this summer has a Formula E race. Mm-hmm. I think it has like a, uh, another like NASCAR stock series race. Like Portland doesn't do well on the whole sports front right now, but it's randomly kind of actually like getting there motorsports wise. Like does that does that move the needle for you? I'm I'm just curious as to how how much impact this F1 movement in the states is and terms of what else it leads to oh yeah i mean i'm definitely planning on going to the formula e race here in june uh i thought i'd make a nice little father's day present and i think that it's definitely helping i mean my i was never into motor racing before that i remember like talking to my dad about getting into f1 he's like i never once thought in my life that you would be into huh. like motor racing he'd have nascar on every sunday and it's like i didn't couldn't care less yeah. but formula one here for it that, that's funny. I had I had some friends in, up in Alaska. NASCAR was pretty popular up there, randomly. Huh. Um, and so I, you know, I'd go and stay over at my friend Zach's house, and like his dad was a huge Jeff Gordon fan. So like I, I remember like watching a lot of NAS- NASCAR when I was younger, and the sports fan in me was just like found interest in it. But like at the end of the day, it was like these guys just kind of turned left, right? A lot. But hey, I mean, if they. Uh... 
I thought I heard them say that they're going to do a drive to survive type series for NASCAR, and maybe that'll change the whole frame of reference did, on it. Did you watch any of those the the drive to survive esque shows they did uh, with tennis and then golf afterwards? Oh no, yeah, they were uh, they were all right. Yeah, I, I'm I'm just fascinated to see like if if this thing keeps growing exponentially, like it feels like it had the last few years. Like again, I wasn't talking about F1. Two years ago and now I'm, i think it's stupid enough to include on my podcast but like do americans need like tight championship races every year or competitive levels or because i i think that's something that like a lot of the european f1 fans have like complained about too of like there's really kind of an americanization of the sport yeah. since since some u.s owners because I, I think the main investors now are are u.s based yeah i mean that's definitely true like european sports culture I mean, at least in terms of, like, winning and losing is so much different than ours. Like, I mean, you couldn't ever dream of having just, like, a 0-0 draw in an American football game like you do in soccer and expect American audiences to broadly be okay with it. We've come a long ways, I think, since the MLS, but right. it's definitely, like, an adjustment. The you know, Americans need, like, oh, big winners, you know, no, no draws, that's boring, get out of here. You need a... Uh, that, 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 that's why that's why maybe we need to uh we need a petition to get like portland to host f1 race because big soccer town we can accept the draw. Yeah. Um, oh my god the fia will not give us another u.s race unless oh my god right well it, man it it'll be it'll be fascinating to see what happens with uh like they just had that the race canceled last week uh because of torrential rains and uh, imola uh, the Miami Grand Prix went off semi-smoothly, but like a week before that, like the track was nearly underwater. Right. Like, let's just start bringing them to some high grounds, some elevation <laughs> here. Like, let's 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 bring it up to the Pacific Northwest. Places with reliable access to water and are also out of flood zones. Exactly. There we go. We'll be all set for the future. All right. So, outside of the Grand Prix, what do you got going this weekend? What do I got going this weekend? I don't know. Enjoying the sun, dude. It's, like, it's gorgeous out. This is perfect. Gonna go get some rays. Got some some friends coming into town. Show them around Portland. Get a couple beers and just uh, enjoy that springtime weekend life in Portland. Where is your go to? I got friends in town. I gotta take them out for a beer. Ooh, uh, probably take them down to Great Notion just because it's like there's so few places where you can get a beer like that anywhere else. And the fact that Matt's Barbecue Tacos is in there. Oh too, yeah! Just... Ever since they moved in, it's been an absolute game changer. Yeah, yeah that's probably the best spot in the city for sure i mean also going to take him down the street to uh over to chill and fill for local spots maybe over to brian uh, at lombard house across the yeah. street too the the local haunts definitely a must all right we'll get out of, get you out of here on this uh what's oregon's record this year oh man one less than whatever i want it to be that's for <laughs> damn sure but i don't know i probably say nine and three but I yeah just, i like, think that's fair you're going to lose one or two to someone dumb. It's like going into last season, I was like, oh, great. We beat all of our curse games. We beat Stanford. We beat Washington State. We won in the desert and then dropped to both both our rivals. So, What do you like about Dan Lanning? <sighs> it's not a tight ass. Like Everything about the Mario Cristobal era just seemed like such a, a tightly run ship. Like Everything was micromanaged. It just feels like... Everyone in the building over there is breathing easier now, and it just makes being a fan more enjoyable. You know, just try and watch it for the games, try and make sure that everyone's having fun, and that's really all you can hope for at the end of the day. Awesome. Well, 
Thanks for joining, Al. Thanks for having me, Tyson.